Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Oh boy, okay. Our guest today is not just one, not just two or three, but four. Four iconic, hilarious, brilliant comedy trailblazers. All in one place. You're welcome. We've got Marla Lukowski, Monica Parker Savard, Gay Claytman, and Rosemary Radcliffe. O-M-G. Yeah. Last year during the Toronto Jewish Film Festival, I moderated a panel with these firecrackers and I mean, there's something about sharing space with fellow comedians and especially female fellow comedians that have gone through, I don't know, some sort of comedy trench to get where they are. And these people were, as I said, trailblazers. Nothing, nothing short of trailblazers. We had so many laughs and there were such great pieces of advice from these hilarious, storied, long-time comedy ladies. First up, we had Marla Lakowski. Now, Marla is an absolute pioneer of stand-up comedy for women in Canada. Her stories about her one-person cancer show, it's called I'm Still Here and So Is My Hair, right? Her stories are raw and real and so funny. And uh, I've heard of Marla forever just in the comedy community and it was such a treat to meet her. She's not only a memorable comedian and singer, she also is the voice of Good Luck Bear on Care Bears. Yeah, and she's an amazing public speaker. Check out her TED Talk, we'll link it in our show notes. And just find out more about Marla because not only is she super talented, but she's still creating great content and I love her for that. Our next panelist is Monica Parker. Now Monica spent 24 years in Hollywood and she acted in everything from like Nancy Drew to The X-Files. She wrote and produced on Who's the Boss, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and The Party Never Stops. She also, if that wasn't enough, she's also written four books. Oh boy. And she's worked with the great Anthony Hopkins. And here's the weird part. Before I knew we were going to do the panel, we worked together on a show in Canada called Carter. So, I mean, it was just inevitable that our paths had to cross. Now, guest number three is the one and only hilarious Gay Claytman. Now, Gay has written commercials and comedy for radio. Oh, and nine books. What? The woman has written nine books. Oh boy. I mean, sometimes I dream about writing a book and then I, I make pizza from scratch. But I would love to write a book someday in my lifetime. And then I think of Gay and Monica who have written many books. It's astounding. She also worked on an all-women sketch show and her hour-long special, Lies My Mother Told Me, won two actor awards and led to another radio series. Just an amazing creator. Okay, and last but not least, we have Rosemary Radcliffe. Now, Rosemary is a comic actor, writer, composer, and painter. She, oh my gosh, she is this beautiful painter. This is what was great about this discussion is they not only had their career in comedy, but they had their career outside of comedy. And I feel like that is part of the secret to longevity in this business is finding other plates that you can spin to stay creative. And certainly these panelists did just that. Rosemary has been on Canadian television for decades from Sunday morning at CBLT Toronto and classics like The Littlest Hobo and Anne of Green Gables. If you're Canadian, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, go Google The Littlest Hobo. It's the weirdest TV show and it's full of Canadian stars. It's quite, quite incredible. We recorded this podcast back in 2019 with a live audience. Oh, do you remember live audiences? 
Oh, that made my heart break just a little bit. It's like a little time capsule. And uh, I set my own tech up. I have to tell you that one of my personal nightmares is having to do tech for any show. And I set this sucker up. So you'll see there's some sound issues. There's some microphone issues and that's on me, totally. But you know what, we get so many hilarious and brilliant stories from these women. And it was such a treat just to talk to all of them. I say, push on through, push on through the microphone issues. Okay, without further ado, here we go. Here's the Toronto Jewish Film Festival Women in Comedy panel with Marla Lakowski, Monica Parker, Gay Clayton, and Rosemary Radcliffe. Let's launch it. What was that? Have you seen that before? The clips that you saw? When's the last? We're going to do microphones. A, I have no memory okay, of good. doing that. Okay, good. Like, that was, like, fresh. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think seeing those clips? I, uh, first of all, uh, everybody here is amazing right. and talented. And I, I, it was like memory lane going... I remember their sketches. I certainly don't remember mine. <laughs> I have to no. say, I have to say, on behalf of female comedians, thank you. Thank you so much for the... Because you did trailblaze. I watched those clips, and I'm like, you were defining what it was like to be funny and made like girls like me go, oh, I can be funny. I can do what you're doing. You were bold. You weren't ditzy. You were doing silly but fun stuff and really, really brave. So thank you, right, on behalf of all the comedy gals that went after you. What she just said is we're old. <laughs> so what was it like for you, Rosemary, seeing those clips? I have no recollection oh my whatsoever <laughs> of doing those things at all. It's some kind of a vague memory. I have to say, I've, we only met today, but I've known you forever because you're so iconic from the world of Second City. Oh, I think it's just... I don't know. I don't know. You just, just take it. Take that one. <laughs> you are. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. You just, uh, you don't even know what you're doing at the time. You're just like a duck. You're peddling and trying to keep your head above water and pay your rent, really. That's what yeah. it gets down to. And so when it's all over, you think, oh, I did that. How, yeah. how interesting. Well, there's something to be said about the longevity, too. There's a lot oh of people... Oh, my God. We have to keep trying. I mean, when you're old, you have to try harder. I'm really, going to say, know, you know. When, at any age, you have to try harder. Oh, like, yes. The fact that you're all still in comedy is such kudos. Marlo, what was it like for you to see this? Uh, I can <laughs> see I looked a lot younger. Um, it was exciting. It was yeah. exciting seeing everybody. It was exciting seeing my old act from 1982 and uh, some of the choices I made. I liked my profile. I see my nose has grown in the last couple of decades, which is a little concerning. <laughs> um, but that's okay, because nobody invites me to cocaine parties anymore. <laughs> Well, a lot of people. So, yeah. A lot of people from this audience is thinking, well, maybe I'll invite yeah, her to a cooking party. If the party. dealer's out there, uh, leave your card. Especially okay. in the back row scary. in this crowd. Yeah. Gay, what was it like for you seeing those those clips? So I thought, okay, this is either my children or not my children. But Sabrina, who remembers what it was like to be six years old, said apparently they were my children. <laughs> so there's something going on here. So I don't know. <laughs> Well, what kind, of, what kind of little girls were you growing up? Like, I watched this and I think, oh, you are such bold women. What, what, Monica, what kind of little girl were you? I was a liar. Okay. 
Well, this is how you become a writer. That's, that's you, very informative you, for us to know that. You start out by making up stories. And I was always told, that's not true. And, uh, but whatever it was, I wanted it to be true. And uh, so the kind of kid I was was I was a voyeur. I mean, I would listen to other people's stories. And I had one, uh, I remember once getting off a bus because some couple hadn't finished their story. And I was desperate to hear the end. And I was stalking them on the way home. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I told a lot of stories when I was a kid. Yeah. They're called lies. Right. Um, you were training yeah. to be a training professional liar. Training to be liar. a writer. Yeah. And a liar. Yeah. Rosemary, what about you? What kind of little girl were you growing up? Uh, well, I never fit. I was weird. I was weird and I had hair that was all lumpy and my teeth stuck out and I was, um, I don't, I was a mess really. <laughs> I don't think you're alone though. Like, don't, don't you think comedy? Well, so there's great comedy hope. embraces weirdness. Yeah. Like, if you were normal, you wouldn't be in comedy. Well, that's right. None of us are normal. I would that's say right. that completely. Yeah. No, no. Well, I think we were born this way, weren't we? Born this way. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. Marla, what about you? I was very shy, believe it or not. I don't believe it. Yeah, well, it's true. In fact, like, I was very, very quiet. I was put into the closet in grade two and stayed there for six hours because the teacher forgot to tell me to come out. I mean, I saw people get their coats, their galoshes, their scarves, and aren't you gonna come out? So she didn't tell me to come out, so I'm not coming out. I didn't come out until the janitors came in, cleaned the room, and they were about to lock the door, and I opened the door and I went, wait, and they had a heart attack, and I ran home, and I got home at seven o'clock, my mother said, where are you? I said, I was playing with Cindy. No, I called Cindy, okay, I'm lying. They put me in the closet for talking, and I wasn't even talking. Well, why didn't you speak up? <laughs> so and that glad was to go the through beginning. this. Yeah, but I'm glad to get that off your chest. That was yeah. it. Yeah. My yeah. family didn't think I was. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. okay. I need to say this. My Please. family didn't think I was funny, and I didn't know I was funny until I went outside of the house and someone said, "You're funny." Who, who was yeah, that? Yeah. What was the moment that you were like, "Oh, I'm funny"? Do you remember the bit? Yeah. It was actually at the <laughs> riverboat because I wanted to be a folk singer, so I got. <laughs> Booked at the riverboat was my first job, and I started to talk in between the songs, and yeah. I started to laugh. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Right. And, and that kept happening for the whole half hour. Yeah. And then the manager came up to me, and it's like a scene from Funny Girl, and when she's roller skating, and the manager comes up and he goes, "You're not a singer, you're a comic. There's some comedy clubs uh, yeah. before Yuck Yucks. This is 1973. Yeah. Uh, at the music clubs on Saturday nights, go there." And says, "So I did, and that's how it started." Wow. Gay, do you remember when you realized you were funny? No, but I was also very, very painfully shy, hiding behind curtains shy. So what I would do when I was little, when I was walking to Brown School up the hill, I would pretend that I was riding my golden Palomino. Now, I didn't know. I'm a city girl. I didn't even know what that is, but I had one anyhow. So I would gallop up to school and had no idea. I, was, I got to a point where I knew I wanted to write, uh, but it honestly, it didn't. It didn't get to be comedy for for a long, long time. And I, I have no sort of uh, penultimate moment where it, it struck me because I went to Rars and I was going to do a, be a hotshot journalist, and I don't know, it never happened. <laughs> Rosemary, what about you? You, um, one of the questions I just hate when journalists ask me now is, what's it like being a woman in comedy? Because it just makes me, I think, what's it like being a man in journalism? Are we still asking that question? <laughs> However, the fact that you've come up and you've put your elbows up and gotten through quite a, a boys club of a time, what was it like being a woman in comedy when you first started? 
Well, I wasn't sexy, and and so I yeah. A lot I, of people I disagree. She was no, sexy. no, I was, no, I really. She was gorgeous. no, really. So I, I I I made myself up a weird persona. At the beginning, I had a red afro. And every night I would put pin curls. And uh, I, I, I made myself into something unique because I didn't fit anywhere. And I don't know how else to explain it. But I had hair like gays. <laughs> natural. Natural, everybody, natural. <laughs> Do you remember any moment, Rosemary, where you were like, I don't know. I feel like it, because it was such a male-dominated industry, do you remember a time when you had to get your elbows up and be like, no, I'm going to be funny regardless no, if I'm invited? I sort of pretended I didn't see. I, I kind of cajoled my way through life. And, you know, if a man made a pass at me, I'd go, what, 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 what? <laughs> Is, does he want something? You know, it's like you just, if there's a kind of an innocence that you are when you're a comedian, I think. There's an innocence about you. And that's all I can say is that's how you get through. What about you, Monica? You, you were trailblazing for a long time, and you, I mean, you wrote your own show. What was that like? What, writing your own show? Yeah, Terr did you? Terrifying. Did you, yeah. Um, but did you step into it because you were like, I got to make my own work? I, well, I think part of it was that, first of all, I had always said I was going to write a one-woman show, and this went on for 10 years. But you're a liar, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, didn't, I also knew that I didn't want to be one of those people who said I was going to do something and didn't do it, because I don't, I don't admire that. I wanted to actually respect myself. So um, we had just moved back from Los Angeles after spending a very long time there. And I knew I didn't want to grow old there because you're not allowed to, <laughs> um, as you can tell by all the work I've had done. And pardon me. And so uh, I just decided that I would, I, I started by writing something small. And I didn't know what it was going to be. And I really didn't know what it was going to be. And I kept just, I got a lot of support and a lot of encouragement. And I just kept writing and writing the, this thing. And then one day it appeared. And I knew what it was. And it was. It was really, it's essentially a story of being funny in life and, and, and being bossy, which I am <laughs> bossy. And so I, creating your own work is a way of satisfying that because you can't fire yourself. And or you, I, whatever it was, it was the bravest thing I've ever done and the most rewarding thing I've ever done. For I mean, sure. That's amazing. You can't, you can't fire yourself. Yeah, I mean, it is. One person shows. They make me sweaty just thinking about it. So kudos to, to the folks that here that have done one-person shows. You said you can't fire yourself, but you can quit. Do you remember a moment in your careers where you're like, that's it. It's too much. I can't. I mean, last week, right, for all of us. But also, <laughs> as because the, the longevity of your life, you must have had those times where you're like, i got to choose something else. I'm going to need a walker if you continue to say the longevity of my life. Come on now. Um, I'm, so, I'm so in awe of this because I find it. I mean, I've been in the business for... 20 years plus, but I'm like, it's, it doesn't get easier. You always have to constantly go, how am I going to stay with it? Because it's what we love doing. So do you remember the moment that you almost quit? Oh, yeah, every other Thursday, years ago, <laughs> that why am I doing this? What else could I do? What else could we be? But then there's another part of me that 
Um, I'm naturally entrepreneurial, so if, when I couldn't act, when, it, when somebody wasn't hiring me, then I wrote. When I couldn't write, then I produced. And I just, I would just find some other way, or, or I started businesses that never worked. Um, I created things that never worked. But I just always just kept doing this. I don't, I don't know for any of us, we're, we're artists. I can't imagine having a real job. I really can't. I like being a free-range chicken. <laughs> Marla, what about you? What was the uh, what was the question? Okay, a moment that you <laughs> that you were like, I think I'm gonna throw in the towel. And oh then yeah. What made you keep going? Uh, my last commercial audition was for Emodium, and they had a choreographer teach me how to have diarrhea movements, okay. as if I don't know. Wait, was it a dance? I was really kind of humiliated, and I went to the phone at the casting, and I, I was just calling my mother for a second. <laughs> Hello, Jerry, Jordan and Associates. I'm not going on auditions anymore. I've had it. This is embarrassing. I'm sorry. I'm it's like that was a, I, I actually that didn't do another audition for right. commercial after that. But you're still in the game. Like, I'm you totally play, in the game. Because totally you're a jazz singer. I just, well. yeah, and do that. And I inject humor into the jazz singing. Yeah. So I have the best of both worlds. Yeah. And whenever, you know, a, a comic friend calls me and says, can you do a quick seven, come down. And so I'll still do a quick seven or a quick ten on yeah. stage. Because I can't remember the rest of my act. So, <laughs> you know, so the memory is like, you know, I can only do seven to ten. That's all I can, you know. Gay, you did a lot of writing. Did you purposely go into writing? Well, yeah, and I thought to myself at the time, I could either perform or write or do both, and I wasn't, I was not the best person. I used to fire myself from, sh <laughs> from shows I wrote because I, I just had no training as, as a stage person, uh, although I loved my characters. But anyhow, so I would put somebody else in that role. But uh, I also had, I loved writing because I also was incredibly lucky with meeting up with Nancy White, who is a singer-songwriter and one of my dearest friends now and stuff like that. So our stuff kept going on and just having her and being two totally different kinds of writers, although I could never do it what she does. I mean, she wrote a song about getting your period. This is, this is... Yeah, risque. Yeah. So, yeah. so I never had a sense of stopping it, uh, which I think is what you were asking, if I can get this. <laughs> You're doing great. Nobody's going to No, people can you. hear really? you. No, Things really? No, really? Is it okay? Yeah. Is it okay? No, I've ah. never okay. seen it better. Um, so, oh, okay. <laughs> I, went, I went too far. I went too far. <laughs> hey, it's over. Um, so you never thought about doing anything else? No, I thought about doing whatever came along because I'd come from a sort of, I started out life doing writing promotions at CFCF television and then writing radio commercials. So I always worked for money. Uh, I, I, it's a long time before I found that you could actually work for what you love and get paid <laughs> also. So when it kind of, I didn't fight too hard when it was obviously coming to a creaking end and it really was. I mean, nobody at CBC knew my name anymore. And then I had the kids, and they were just like, I always blame my kids for, like, she's my here, so that's career. nice. Oh, my God, she's here. Okay. Yeah. No, they're fine. They're fine kids. Great. I, they're I very... don't know. I get their names mixed up sometimes, but that's about the only problem I have. Yeah. Rosemary, how do you think comedy has changed? Because I look at things like King of Kensington and then Baroness. How has comedy changed as far as your, your vision of it? Well, I have to say that I took a rest from comedy for quite a few years. It's like I had a very long nap. And um, I, I, I got tired of being a comic. 
there was a time when I didn't want to be funny anymore. So first I became a painter and now I'm a composer. Yeah. Um, I always studied music. Um, Wait, I have to ask you how, what, what, like you're so funny. How is it that you wanted I, to I, take a I break? I don't know. I, I guess I got to be old and I didn't feel funny anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can still be funny. It's just, I don't have the drive to do it anymore. Right. I'd rather have a core. I, I'm writing an anthem for soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and pipe organ. Yeah. And, uh, Sounds hilarious. I, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's just what I happen to be doing right now is yeah. composing because I always was a musician. Right. So, so looking at your time in Ken King of Kensington, yeah. and then you've just been on the set with Baroness von Sketch Show. Is that is that you still going? Hey, I'm still funny. Ah, uh, I guess so. I, it's only in the mind of the people who watch you. Really, if you think I'm being funny, you're dead in the water. <laughs> You know, you can't. You, oh no, I you thought you meant the audience. And I was you know, like, oh, you yeah. have to be completely, uh, completely in the moment. Right. Right. So, I don't know. I think comedy will always be the same. It's. It, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. You do it, Monica. What do you think? Do you, how has comedy changed for you in the days there? Something like the uh, the obscene phone call sketch versus what you watch now on TV. Well, I'm not. I, I think comedy for me has always been uh, finding a way to take the truth and tell your truth and, and yet twist it in some way so that you make people laugh. I actually find comedy, the kind of comedy that I love the most has a lot of pain in it and because it's honest and, and it's revealing. And I think people who are funny by nature have grown up trying to camouflage a lot of pain. And, and it's just a way out. When you're a kid, like if you're, because if you say you don't fit in, you're trying to find a way out of that to, to fit in. And so the, what you do is you become a smart ass. Right. And smart ass is the doorway to comedy, or at least it was for me. Yeah. I mean, did you find that with your one woman show that you wrote, Marla, with uh, dealing with cancer? Um, I thought it was really important to project and educate the audience as to what it's really like to have cancer and not the Hollywood version. And because I remember when I was going through my treatments and everything in Los Angeles, because that's where I lived for 10 years, and I, by the way, had excellent medical care, wonderful doctors. Um, I had read an article in the LA Times, and it was a really honest article about I was really sick with this, and I lost my this with this, and, this, and I went, wow, nobody says that. This really helps. I'm going to write a memoir about what's ha gonna happen to me, what's happening to me. And I wrote it as everything was happening. So even when I lost my hair wow. one day, I wrote it, I ran to the computer and I wrote it. And then I put that into a show. And it, it got great reviews and the people really liked it because I told the truth. And it's really important to tell the truth because it can help save your life. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like to say to you is, get an ultrasound when you get a mammogram. It's one of the things I'd like yeah. to say. It's very important. Yeah, not, not the strongest of jokes, but I, a very yeah, important but, piece of information. But let yeah. me just add to that an addendum is I enjoy. <laughs> she's very funny. I don't know why she's here. She's very funny. Oh, that's why. Um, I'm no ultrasound. Uh, I injected humor into the show, and then I used to get interviewed. How did you get humor into it? I said, well, here's an example. When I had the appointment with the oncologist and said, look at Marla, you've got really aggressive cancer cells growing. We have to give you really strong chemo. I have to tell you what the side effects are. 
uh, you may get uh, heart damage, lung damage, you'll get uh, mouth sores, anal sores, bleeding gums, bleeding nose, your mouth sore will uh, swell up and et cetera, et cetera, and you will gain weight and you might get leukemia and you may get ovarian cancer. And I said, oh my God. Oh my God, I said to him, did you just tell me I was gonna gain weight? It's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. And That's that good really stuff. happened. Let's talk a little bit about the people you worked with, like Gilda Radner. What was that like to work with Gilda Radner? Uh, Gilda, was, Gilda was the most honest person I've ever known. She knew how to take every flaw that she had and turn it into something endearing, charming, and funny. And it taught, it taught me a lot about telling the truth because she did it so well in such a charming way. And that was the best part of Gilda. I don't know. I absolutely. And I, I, when I was at Second City, she would drive me home. And of course, she had a three-legged cat. Of course, remember? she did. And, uh, and a dog was snuffy, right? And uh, she was just always very, very gracious and just lovely. Yeah. Thank Hungry you. for fame. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, drive, though. You all had such drive. And you said your drive is lessened now, Rosemary. Yeah, I'm, I'm napping. <laughs> but is that, like, I mean, I kind of understand that there was a time that I was like, oh, I, I just want to do it all the time. And I have different kinds of drive. But how did you guys keep, keep your drive going when you were when you were in the heyday of your comedy world? It, it was just, I was always doing stuff. And I, I don't have a sense of losing the energy. It just, it, I don't know. It, it's weird. It just... When it was coming, it was really coming well, and uh, I I kind of went with it. So it's, it's kind of a bland answer. But no, I remember Jane Eastwood saying like there was a time that you just had work. It was just yeah. coming. Like now we're we're hustling to get the work, and there's so many, so many well, more. It's, it's, can I just add Please. one thing? This is when my my son does comedy. Uh, I mean that's not his job because. <laughs> Um, anyhow, and I thought, wow, if I'd had all these comedy clubs to work out and do things. On the other hand, what I did have, and I was just talking to my husband about this, CBC Radio was, was my savior. I loved it. I loved being on radio. I loved CBC. You didn't have to wear makeup. You got to read from a script, but it didn't matter. But, uh, so it's, it's, um, it was just a really nice thing, and it was always there for me. And while I, I couldn't do as much, co like that, you know, working comedy out in a comedy club, um, I had, CBC's kind of looked after me. I got stupidly lucky with that. It didn't have to happen that way, but it did, and I loved to have, hello, CBC. It's not like that anymore. But yeah. CBC has been good to all of us. Yes. Really. Yeah. We yeah. would have been nowhere without the CBC at the beginning. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about what it was like for you on the road, yeah, uh, surrounded Cohen. by male yeah. comics. She had asked me what it's like being on the road. Well, yeah, she just okay. said that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you heard her. Right. She's the moderator. You're doing great. <laughs> it's very smart. Good recall. Yeah. So what was it like being the only female comic on the road with other men on tour, first big feature person, headliner? headliner yeah. the, it was horrible. <laughs> I can't even watch Mrs. Maisel without getting an upset stomach. And there's one episode where she's on the stage and there's three guys in there. Yeah. And I was watching it with my friend. I was cringing because yeah. I went, this is what I went through. This is why I can't watch comedy movies or shows. I go through the whole trauma of it. How I got through it, <sighs> sheer determination, mm -hmm. uh, resilience. I mean, 
Uh, we went to Scotland, and just before I went on stage, and now Marla Lukowski and the audience is clapping in Scotland, and the comic says in the wings, you're not good, you're useless, they just got you here because you're a chick, you're going to eat somebody out to get a good review, and then I go out and I got the best review, and they said, who'd you eat out? Ugh. Yeah. And, and then they like disowned me for the rest of the tour. It was horrible. It was like being... Black in Alabama in the 50s. They didn't want me to sit with them. They didn't want me to uh, socialize with them after the show. So, so I where just did, did my show that? and I went to the home. Where, where did you find that resilience? Like, where did you learn that? I liked what I did on stage. I thought I was really good at it. It was the only time anybody listened to me. I came out of the home where someone said, nobody listened to her. So I was like, hey, on stage, they listen to me. They're looking at me. This is wonderful. And I'm getting paid. I earned a living doing it for like decades. Yeah. It was amazing. I wasn't going to give that up for anybody. Right. Not even, I was in an entourage of men who were going, fuck you, bitch. And I went, fuck you. I'm doing my thing and I'm going to my hotel room. You don't need me. I don't need you. And I just kept doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you because you brought so much comedy, but also thank you for paving the way because that's huge. Thank you for sharing that. Did that make you think of anything of times where you've had your, uh, like, your drive challenged? Monica, a story that, um, where you were challenged but you were victorious? How I came to L.A. was I did a one and only stand-up at Yuck Yucks. It was part of a TV series that I was doing, and they asked me to do that. And I walked backstage, and every male comic there said, what are you doing here? You have a career. Why are you here? And I went, I'm just shooting this show and I'll be out of here. And they were horrible to me. And I walked through there and I was already terrified. I'd never done stand-up. It was the scariest thing I'd ever done in my life. And only one person, Ralph Ben Murgy, for all of you who know him, was backstage and he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, don't listen to them. They're just bitter. <laughs> and he said, just go out there and do what you do and have a good time. And I did. I don't remember a single thing of that night. But at the end of it, two guys approached me and said, we caught your act. I had an act. <laughs> and they said, we want you to come to L.A. And that is how I thought, I actually thought I was being punked. But it was true. They brought me to L.A. And that's how I came to L.A. from my one and only stand-up from those horrible men. And my first job in L.A. was to go and write for Evening at the Improv. So I was right back in with all these mm -hmm. male comics at, who really, I think, in that era, I'm not, I don't know if it's still like that, but in that era, these are scared little boys. And so they lash out at women because we scare them so much. And I, I just, I survived that just simply because the reason that we're funny is that's how you survive it. You can give back as good as you get. And for, so for me, that was a, uh, I don't ever want to be in that world. Stand-up isn't for me. I don't know how you do it. It's too scary. So, But those were my two entrees, and they gave me the Teflon that I needed to mm -hmm. move on. That's awesome. Um, thank you. What's next? What's next for all of you? What's the next chapter look like for, for creation, for, for comedy? How does that live in your hearts? Yeah. I wanted to remount my cancer show because I've lived so long and it was called I'm Still Here and So Is My Hair, but because I've been around for another decade and to, uh, I've retitled it I'm Still Here and So Is My Hair, but now it's growing on my chin. <laughs>
I'm in. That's really I'd like to invest. I yeah. don't know. Well, I, don't I even think know it's going to be a killer. Yeah. Uh, is that really? Is that something you're all working on now? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What about you, gals? Uh, Gay, what's uh, what are you creating these days? I'm just knocked out by what my uh, my colleague ex have been saying. I mean, stand up. I even watching stand up comedy terrifies me. I've never ever done it. Uh, and so I, I admire all of you who've done it. In terms of my own life, I know this is going to sound sort of, bleh, you know, but I think I've done everything I wanted to do. Um, every once in a while, I'll watch my son do improv and think, I love improv. I'd love to. Why doesn't he invite me up? But he doesn't anyhow. Um, so, but it's, it's, it never goes any farther than that. Yeah. So I really feel that, that I've kind of, you know, even in the really poor days where, you know, you're not bringing in anything and you're feeling like you're useless. But no, I'm so, I've kind of had a happy life. Yeah. 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 Rosemary, what about you? Well, for me, um, I when I got kind of uh, tired of being funny, I became a painter. That's right. <laughs> I'm tired of being funny. You're so funny. Now, now uh, I'm really uh, hoping that next year there's a choir will sing my anthem uh, in St. Mary's, Ontario. And um, there's an amazing pipe organ there made by the Quebec firm of Casavant. It's yes. a world-famous pipe organ, and I believe they'll be doing my anthem. So that's what's good for me. Fantastic. How about you, Monica? Uh, I just finished my third book, which is a book about women and money. And I say it's not a how-to, it's a don't ever. And um, we're artists. We understand. Feast famine, feast famine. And um, I just, um, I'm possibly going to be doing a series, but I can't talk about it yet. So, well, stay tuned. We'll do a follow-up. Um, I always talk about advice that you might have given yourself when you were 10 years old, if you could go back in time. I often think that advice mm -hmm. is advice I would give myself now. If I look back, it's the same advice. But what advice would you give yourself? Wait, what advice would you give yourself? I, well, I would just be like, keep, keep going. Like, just keep going, because don't get too disheartened. And then I'd also say, take a break when you need to. <laughs> because there's sometimes where you're like, I just got to keep going, and you don't take in that you actually need to just recoup and rejuvenate a little bit. What about you? I believe in, I mean, I had to tell myself, yeah. uh, just keep going. Don't listen to what anybody in your family is saying. Don't listen to what your friends are saying. Listen to what the audience is saying. If the audience likes you, that's the proof. That's it. You know, people say, I think I want to be a comedian. I said, there's lots of amateur nights. Go out there and do five minutes. My friends say, never mind what your friend says. My father can go, never mind what your father <laughs> Just go out there and do your five minutes and you'll sink or swim. And do it five times, because some audiences are not hot and some audiences are. Just keep going if you believe in yourself. And if you don't make any money, do it as a hobby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What about you all? What, what advice would you have given yourself? Well, when you're young, you don't know any better. But really, it's about finding your place in the world. Yeah. And I think we're still trying for that. I'm still trying to find my place. You. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's here. I mean, right, right now. here, right now. <laughs> but I get it. That, that's it. sort of a journey. Just where do I fit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. The search for where you fit is actually really part of the funny, right? Yes. Yeah. What about you, Monica? I don't know. I, 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 um, I, what advice would I have given myself at 10? Oh, yeah, stop worrying about everything, <laughs> for starters. Yeah. First of all, you're really harsh with yourself at yeah, 10. Yeah, like... The tone. Stop. And, and I don't know, 
give, just enjoy every day. Yeah. Um, and you'll find your place. It's so easy to give a 10-year-old advice when you're not 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> brush your teeth more often, right? When you're 10. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, you only have one set of teeth. Uh, Gay, what do you think? What would be some advice you'd give yourself? Well, I, I, when I was 10, I truly lived in a world of, of fantasy with me being Sheena, queen of the jungle. Okay. And, but this, I'd always have to be rescued by some white, uh, you know, hunter and stuff like that, and anyhow. But uh, so I think I would have said don't, you know, my mother always said, oh, if you just stand there, you'll be noticed. You just stand in a corner and you'll get noticed. So I stood in a lot of corners <laughs> and didn't get noticed and therefore thought, that, you know. <laughs> my mother was wrong. My mother, mother was wrong. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know what, I, just, just to sort of assert myself more. I was, the shyness thing really yeah. got in the way. Lucky well, you're nodding. What is that, your world too? I'm, a, I'm agreeing that we all get in our own way. Yeah, that, that, that's I, that's part of growing up. Uh, it just is. Yeah. I don't know. I came to Canada from Scotland when I was thirteen. I was a fat kid, half Jewish, with an accent. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't have been more of an outsider. Right. So I found funny. Yeah, I think that's what happened to me. Is I found funny as a defense mechanism, and then it all kind of came together. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for pursuing comedy. Thank you. For bringing comedy and for sharing your stories. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the festival. I'm Naomi Sneakers. Oh, it was just such a treat. I had such a good time spending time with these kick-ass women. And now, earlier this year, during the first half of the online film festival, I interviewed Helen Zuckerman, the artistic director and co-founder of TJFF, Toronto Jewish Film Festival. Now, if you haven't heard that episode, it's amazing. She's amazing. It's just incredible insight into how the festival got started, how it just kept going, how now it's moved online. And... Helen's super funny, so if you haven't caught up with this interview with Helen Zuckerman, you've got to go. Make sure you follow at TJFFGrams to keep up with all the festival's programming, to get your virtual cinema tickets, and check out their existing catalogue on JFlix, available year-round, available all across Canada. And here's the thing, Toronto Jewish Film Festival's Fall Online Edition is available for the first time Ontario-wide, October 22nd to November 1st. It includes an online film masterclass with Mark Lapadula on Cinema with a Cause, live special guests for Zoom Q&As, and a ton of narrative, documentary, and short films from a variety of voices, like, like Emma Seligman's Shiva Baby, Caroline Link's When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, and Sherry Rogers' Shared Legacies, the African-American Jewish Civil Rights Alliance. For the full schedule and program, visit tjff.com. Just so you know, TJFF is continuing its Give Back initiative with a fall edition to help ensure the provision and distribution of emergency food to those in need. A portion of the TJFF 2020 online fall edition ticket sales will be donated to the grassroots organizations Mason Canada and the Stop Community Food Centre. What a great example of giving back. Thank you again to these comedy legends that made time for this really important and really funny chat. And let us know what films you're seeing at the festival at Firecracker DEPT. Share some links. Share some pictures of you watching a movie online and eating popcorn. Because, you know what? Here's the good thing about watching movies online from home. The popcorn 
is refillable. You have to refill it. Still good. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is great, Naomi. I love these conversations. How do I support Firecracker Department? Oh, that's so funny that you should ask. Okay, here's a couple of ways. Leave us a review. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps spread the word into our community. Or give us a social media shout out. Why not? I mean, if all else fails, just tell your friend. Tell your friend you listened to Firecracker Department and you really liked it. That will help us and I thank you for it. I have to say our Firecracker Department team loves, loves, loves getting any kind of notes. We've got some amazing art coming in, Firecracker Art Department on Instagram that Chelsea McKenzie's been doing. Go and check that out. And if you have any Firecracker art, just tag us, hashtag Firecracker Art Department, and uh, we'll celebrate your art virtually. It's like a virtual art gallery. Thank you so much to everybody that's been piping in or just saying that they like what we're doing. It sure means a lot to all of us and I really, really appreciate it. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the Firecracker Department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the Firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations and connections happen. Uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts, so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee. We often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes, and that's the way it rolls. We always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. Monthly, we host a script department reading series, a wellness department meditation, live spark chats on Instagram with past podcast guests, and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up, ginormous! everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too, so thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. <laughs>